0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Green Scene on The Pat Kenny Show with AIB, working alongside Irish communities towards a low carbon future. We pledge to do more.
1: Now, in the green scene, how to turn old plastic into soap. Uh, but first, we'll stay with animals. Why? Apes developed shoulders. We're joined by Dr. Ruth Freeman, director of science for society at Science Foundation Ireland. Ruth, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Uh, you were on the board of the of the zoo.
0: I was. I had a couple of very happy years working with the zoo and and Jerry. So it was a real privilege to be part of it as it was transforming, and it was great to hear him chat about it this morning.
1: Now you want to talk about
0: apes? Yes, and, and apes shoulders and, and and on our shoulders because of course we're apes, and this is this is research that has come from universities in re- researchers in Dartmouth University, and they really have been looking at are quite unusual, even within the ape kingdom, our shoulders and our elbows. And they decided to study that by comparing the difference between how chimpanzees, our very close ape relative, and monkeys climb. And actually, when you look at a monkey or a chimp climbing and they used footage from the wild here, which is really important because a lot of what we had done before was was kind of in unnatural habitats. And they looked and used this very sort of sophisticated analytical software to see how the, the monkeys and the apes move differently. And as the two species climbed up the tree, they tend to keep their sort of forearms, their arms bent and their elbows in quite close to their body and their shoulders down. So they climb in a very similar way. But they noticed something that no one had ever really noticed before, which was when they climbed down, they used quite a different technique. So here the chimpanzees would extend their arms far over their head and really straighten their arms, so extending their elbow joint quite fully. And and the researchers were trying to understand why this might be the case. And, of course, you'll often see, I mean, the the typical, the the four-legged animal stuck up the tree. They can Mm. kind of manage to go up, but it's harder to go down if you don't have that flexibility in your shoulders and your elbows. And, of course, for the early apes, kind of our common ancestors with chimpanzees, we would have sort of shared an ancestor maybe six or seven million years ago. We were big bodied and heavy. So coming down out of a tree was quite a dangerous thing to do. So if you fall, that's it. If you fall, that's it. And of course, you've got more weight, you're working against gravity. So what they're hypothesising is that these flexible arms and shoulders were almost like a break that our common ancestor had to develop to be able to get up a tree, safely find food or get away from a predator and then safely get down again without falling. Um, so, so it's really fascinating because we kind of still have this anatomy, anatomy even today. Even though we're not climbing trees that often. Even though we're not climbing trees that often and, source, and of course actually chimpanzees don't. So we still have these very sort of shallow ball and socket joints in our shoulders which are easy to dislocate and we have these flexible elbow joints that will extend all the way but are, are not as, as robust. In fact even your funny bone where you can often knock that nerve mm. there, that little process at the end of our ulna bone is is shorter so that we can fully extend that that elbow. And that's almost a primitive feature, some anatomists would say. Um, so, So really, really interesting because what they're saying is as these humans, you know, first we would have been able to get up a tree you know, then we would have been able to protect ourselves at night, maybe sleeping up trees, our Mm -hmm. early ancestors. Then as we sort of developed along our own lineage into things like an Australopithecine one or two million years ago, you know, we, we would have gone on then as Homo erectus to develop fire. So we wouldn't have had to go up the trees anymore. And then we started tool use. And of course, then we started throwing spears and all that. And then our shoulders got even broader and stronger. But we've retained this flexibility. So when you see somebody you know throwing a football or something where actually it's that ancestral kind of tree climbing that might have given us that ability Now our second topic is uh, turning used plastic into useful soap yeah, and I mean, we, we've talked many times about plastic, you know, one of, one of the big issues that we're trying to deal with. And, and this is researchers from Virginia Tech. And interestingly, they were inspired by looking at a fire and this idea that you have big chunks of wood and in, in heat it slowly breaks down eventually into tiny molecules and then essentially into gas and soot. And they were sort of wondering, you know, In plastics, we have fatty acid type things, which are the raw material for soap. But it's very hard to break those down without destroying them completely. So you have these big, long fatty acid chains. You need to get small fatty acid chains. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? So they developed a very clever reactor, which was hot on the bottom, but cooler at the top. So when you put the plastics in, it sort of started to break down, but they managed to stop the reaction before the plastic was completely destroyed and became unusable and they created a sort of waxy substance and then for anyone that remembers they're kind of leaving cert sort of chemistry they used a process called saponification where you add alkali to these yeah. fatty acids and that gives you the raw material for soap. Yeah.
1: Okay. so what kind of plastics are they talking about? Because there are some which are not recyclable or not without great expense.
0: Exactly. And that's the exciting thing here because they were able to use many of those common plastics that we are sending to landfill. So even with our improved sort of um, recycling chains, we're still only recycling about 10% of plastic and more than half of it is going into landfill, which is not what we want. But this process, because it's relatively simple, I mean, it's heating up the plastic and breaking it down into smaller components it was suitable for end of life type plastics and mixed plastics which are a real problem for our current um, processes so I mean, look, it's not, we don't want to be flushing loads and loads of soap into the environment either. So, I mean, they're very careful to say this isn't a panacea to fix our our plastic problem. But it means that for now we can at least take those plastics which are going into landfill and causing huge damage and use them as as a a sort of raw material for something that we need anyway.
1: I mean, a soap, a a detergent, if you like, is a a molecule that at one end will absorb grease and at the other end will absorb water. And hence it can be washed away. I mean, that's
0: exactly. how it works. But, but I mean, if, and again, actually it was interesting, even during COVID, as we all used more soap, there were some studies which looked at the environmental impact of all that soap washing into the environment. Because of course, as you say, it can break down Oily membranes, and there are some plants and animals that have those. So, we don't want to necessarily be washing all this into the environment, but we have to address the plastic Mm. issue. And while we cut down and kind of come up with other materials, we need to think about what we're going to do with end of life plastic apart from putting it in landfill. So, so this is a a useful uh, study. Interesting.
1: Dr. Ruth Freeman, Director of Science for Society at Science Foundation Ireland. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.